0: Well, good morning. Again, it is so good to be in this place with you. I'm grateful that we have a space where we can gather together for the common purpose of knowing Jesus better. Um, we gather together each week in this place because we are pursuing some kind of relationship with God. And we're coming together at all different stages in relationship. Some of you have been walking with the Lord for a long time. Some of you are brand new to this whole thing and still figuring it out. Some of you have been a little hit and miss with this relationship, and some of you are still asking a lot of questions. And I just want you to know, no matter where you find yourself in that mix today, it's okay. Because this is a place where you can ask all the questions. This is a place where you can come no matter where you're at in the journey and know that you belong. Because those of you that have been the road for a long time are bringing value to the people who have questions, are bringing value to the people who are coming.
1: And I'll just speak
0: for myself. When I was growing and learning, and still am, about the love of Christ for me, what gave me the greatest joy was knowing that there were people that I could ask who wouldn't look at me and assume that I could figure it out on my own. Because God did not put any of us here to do this all by ourselves. He's given us one another, and that's why we come. And last week when you came, if you were here, you discovered that we're going to spend some time talking about prayer and the biggest part of last week's message was simply this that god wants us to move from talking about prayer to becoming prayers god wants us to stop just talking about prayer Talk, stop talking about how powerful it is Stop talking about what prayer can do and be a person who prays he desires that all of us become prayers and the reason is because we discovered last week that prayer is simply a conversation between the creator and his creation. It's a two-way street, it's a dialogue. We talk and he listens and then he talks and we listen. At least that's the way it should be. But sometimes we tune him out when he starts talking because he says some things that make us uncomfortable. And last week we learned that when Jesus started talking about prayer, when Jesus was uh, a part of this earth and walking around sharing his earth, earthly ministry, God put on flesh, come to dwell among man. That when he started the conversation about prayer, he didn't start with what we needed to pray. He didn't even start with uh, the why behind prayer. He started with the word when, which was a surprising place to start because we're people that want to know all the facts. We want to know all the info, and the wind comes later. Like, after I know all the things that I need to do, then I'll get there. Jesus started with a because his heart was that conversation was already happening. Jesus was making the assumption when he began the conversation about prayer that prayer was already going on. The people in relationship with the Father were already talking to him. Because how can you have a relationship with someone if you don't communicate? And so Jesus began the conversation with the word when. And last week we learned that when is not about what time. It's not about a certain time of day. It's not about following your watch. The when for Jesus wasn't about what time, but it was about making time all the time. Because for Jesus, there was the question, when do you pray? And the answer for many of you was unusual because the answer was yes. We pray all the time. We make time all the time for the conversations for the people that need the most. The most important relationship in our life.
1: God decided it would be
0: that it would be him. And that we can talk with him all the time. And so this week, now we're going to take a look at... The what of prayer. We started with when and now we're going to move to what? The content of the conversation. If I'm going to talk to God, I can't see him, but I'm going to try this thing out. What exactly am I supposed to say? You might say it's a how-to of prayer if you want to, but it's more than that. Because when Jesus starts talking about the what of prayer, he's not giving us a list of boxes that we need to check off, like once you've done these things, well, then you pray. No, what Jesus actually gives us is some really powerful instructions about what the conversation should contain and what it might look like. And the way that he did that was by teaching a prayer to his disciples that we prayed just a few moments ago. Many of you know that text as the Lord's Prayer. But here's the interesting thing. We have given it that title.
1: Jesus didn't say, this is
0: my prayer. Uh, I want you to learn it and pray it just like me. No, in fact, what Jesus said was, when you pray, pray in this way. And then he began to pray in front of his disciples and gave them a model or an outline for what a prayer might look like. Now, I know that we just prayed it together, but I'm going to read it again for your hearing from Matthew's Gospel. This comes from Matthew chapter 6. It's where we started our conversation last week with the wind. And after Jesus talks about when you pray and makes the assumption we're already doing it, then he moves to the what, And this is what he says. Pray then in this way, our Father, who art in heaven. How be your name? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And Jesus goes on to say, For if you forgive others for their transgressions,
1: your heavenly Father will also forgive
0: you. But if you do not forgive others, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. This is the Word of God for the people of God. And we're thankful for it.
1: <clears throat> there
0: isn't anything in Scripture here in the Gospel of Matthew, save for if you have a printed Bible, there might be a little subheading right there that says, The Lord's Prayer. <laughs>
1: But actually, a a better
0: representation of the Lord's Prayer would come out of the Gospel of John in the 17th chapter, where just before Jesus is walking to the cross, he begins to pray to his Father. And interestingly enough, if you look at this model that Jesus has given us for how he wants us to pray, and you look at the prayer in John 17, where Jesus very openly, in front of his disciples, begins to pray to the Father, There are some similarities in the way that Jesus prays. But here's what I want to tell you about the Lord's Prayer. It's not a magic formula. It's not the only right conversation to have. It's a wonderful way to shape our conversation. But there have been some people who said, if you don't pray this prayer, you're not really praying. Jesus never said that. What Jesus told his disciples when they came to him and said, So Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us the right way to have a conversation with your Father. We see you do it all the time. Sometimes you leave and go away by yourself and have a conversation. We want to know what you're saying. And Jesus says, Well, if you're going to pray, then pray in this way. What he said in that moment was, Pray like this or in this manner. What he did not say was, pray these exact words only. Because it's the sentiment behind what Jesus is teaching that's really the most important. The words matter. But do you know what matters more than you repeating words that you read out of Scripture? That you have your own conversation with the Father. With the words and the language that he's giving you. But Jesus, in this moment, gives us an outline, a shell, kind of like sermon notes for me at the give of the week as I sit down to think about God's Word and how I'm going to share that. I've got kind of an outline, a guide, if you will, that helps me walk you through a certain passage of Scripture or a certain idea that God wants to share. The same is true of the Lord's Prayer. He's given to us as a model. It's kind of like an outline or a shell in which we learn or begin to learn how to pray. You don't have to pray exactly, but it's not wrong if you do. We often do corporately as a a sense of unity. It helps us feel in common with one another. But rather than praying it just to pray it, we better know what we're saying when we're praying. Are you with me? We've got to pay attention to what we're saying when we're praying. And so if you really study just these few verses in Matthew, here's what you discover about the Lord's Prayer. It's a conversation in two parts. And I call those two parts the worship and the wants. The worship and the wants, W-A-M-T-S. My worship and my wants. And the very first part of the Lord's Prayer is the most important part because it is wholehearted praise of god jesus in teaching this prayer to his disciples says when you pray pray in this way and then he begins our father who art in heaven and in that moment something really radical happens Let me set the scene for you again, because as Jesus is teaching this maker of prayer, this is actually in the middle of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. At least the record in Matthew tells us that when Jesus was teaching, his disciples were gathered and he was instructing them, but a whole crowd of people had somehow kind of come around to listen to him teaching. And so Jesus is speaking on a a lot of important things in these chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus is talking about all of these spiritual disciplines that he wants his disciples to develop as good leaders. And now there's this massive crowd who's kind of leaned in and they're listening. Because the teacher is saying some important things. And Jesus says, so when you pray, pray in this way. And he begins, our father. And pretty much everybody who's listening kind of loses it. Because Jesus says something very radical in this moment that people of his day, people of his faith, did not do. See, if you go back and you read the Old Testament, you will discover that the people of Israel, the Jewish people, the chosen people of God, did not speak the name of God because it was just too holy. We can't say it. So they would find other ways. They they developed their own language to talk about God. Even today, some of the most devout Jews in the world, when when speaking of him or even writing about him, will write the letter G with a dash in the middle and then write the letter D. They will write his name, they won't speak his name, and they took that instruction from the commandment that said that they weren't supposed to take God's name in vain. And and when we understand that to mean that we can't be casual with God's name, we we don't throw it around like a curse word. But that we respect it, we honor it, we revere it. Jesus is saying, hey listen, there's a whole other level of relationship that's possible here. Let me introduce you to how you have a conversation with somebody that you care about. Have you ever started a, a Talk with somebody, and you you saw them across the room and you wanted their attention. You went, Hey, you! And 16 people turned around and looked at you. How do you get the attention of someone specific? You call them by name. And Jesus says, If you want to have a conversation with the Father, call him by name. And so, to his hearing audience, this is a radical idea. We don't the name of God. We don't speak his name. They, they wouldn't call him Yahweh. They, they called him Adonai.
1: When God introduced himself
0: to his people, he said, I am who I am. But they would not speak his name. And Jesus said, no, 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 when you talk to the Father, you call him by name. And more importantly, when you call him by name, You put him at the center of the relationship because he's not not Steve's father. He's not Eli's father, he's not Trey's father, he's not Diana's father, he's our father, which means he's also mine, too. And when we begin praying with our father, we put God at the center of the conversation where he belongs. It orients our thinking to who we are and who he is. Who am I? Well, I'm joy. Who is he? He is my father. Here's the other thing. When Jesus was speaking, his native tongue was Aramaic. And the word he would have used to introduce the idea of father was the Lord Abba. But Abba was far more than a a very stately, paternal uh, kind of name for a father. It was more like a little kid looking at his father and calling him daddy. So it's not just radical that Jesus says you can call him father, but when Jesus speaks to his father, he's speaking in the most intimate and personal way possible. He's saying this is not some distant relationship that you have with this aloof cosmic God who sees you from afar and kind of leaves his ear and decides whether or not he can You are talking to the one who made you. You are talking to someone who loves you. You can have an intimate connection with the person you're having this conversation with. Don't miss who you're talking to, Jesus says. And in that moment, Jesus says, we put our worship before our wants. When Jesus teaches people how to pray, he says, when you pray, you put your worship of who God is you bring all the things that you want from him. You begin with praise, and you remember who God is to you, not just some distant, cosmological, invisible figure, but a personal, intimate father. I read a statement this week that was so profound, I haven't been able to get away from it. One of the biblical commentators wrote, only a true child of God And address him as the Father. And only faith in Jesus Christ makes someone a child of God. See, when Jesus calls God Father, there's a personal relationship there. A literal personal relationship. But because of Jesus, all the rest of us get to call him Father too. And so when we begin to pray, Jesus says, you begin by praying, our Father. And we bring this big, giant God down to a personal level. And then Jesus continues, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, and by that, Jesus says, You can bring God to a personal level, but you can't forget how big he is. He's omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is capable of doing all things. He's omniscient. He sees and knows everything. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. He is both personal and he is monumental. So when we pray our Father in heaven, what we're saying is, you are my dad. You're the person in my life who will listen to me all the time, and you're right here, and yet you're everywhere all the time. Why? Why would that be important? Because Jesus didn't want us to lose sight of the power of who we were talking to. Because here's the thing. We have conversations with people we know all the time, and we know their limitations, right? I can can start start a conversation conversation with anybody and I know up front what they can and can't do. I can go with somebody knowing the capacity that they have to do something. I can go and go over Psalmist wrote that the Lord looks down from heaven and sees all the children of man and from where he sits enthroned, he looks out upon all the inhabitants of the earth God not only sees us all, he knows us all and he's listening to everyone when we pray our Father in heaven we're simply praying I have an ever present help all the time who knows my needs, but who is a personal and loving God who actually cares about the things that I'm going to say. Now, some people would say, why begin here? Why begin telling God who he is? Well, it's really going to be hard for me to have a conversation with an individual if I don't call them by name, if I don't speak their name and identify to whom I'm speaking but i don't also honor them by the way that i speak and so we begin the lord's prayer with worship our father in heaven and then we move from worship to our wants and our wants are divided up into two sections some people would call the lord's prayer a praise and then a petition I call it worship and wants because if we're real, if we're real with each other, when we pray, we're bringing our wants before the Lord. This is what I want you to do. But Jesus says, make sure that you pay attention to this. You can bring your wants, but before you bring yours, you better bring His. What? Well, the wants of the Lord's prayer are in two sections. First, God's desires, and then our own. You see, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those are the ones of God for the world. And then we say, give us daily bread, forgive us of our debts, deliver us. Those are my personal desires. And Jesus is saying very simply, you have to put the thys before the minds." Follow me? You must put the thys before the minds. walk Why? because he wants to make sure we have proper orientation when we come to the conversation, because here's the truth. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, do you know how the desires of your heart actually come to you? When you delight yourself in whatever God is doing, the desires of your heart are transformed so that what you want is what he wants. And so when we start praying what God wants before we start praying what we want, we properly aligned ourselves to have a conversation with him to say, hey, listen, I've got some things on my heart, but before I bring any of that to you, I just want to tell you how good you are. I just want to tell you how great you are. I just want to thank you for what you've done. And, and God, I also want to say, listen, your name is holy. How would be thy name? That's the first thy. How would be your name? What does that mean? How? We don't need to use that word in common conversation. Like, how, where does that ever enter into normal people conversation? Hello, Steve, How would be your name. What is that? Hallowed <laughs> is a word that simply means holy. But when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, this is what he says. He's not just your father. His name is the most important name you could be speaking. Did you know that names matter? They really, really matter. I've surprised I who had a baby a week and a half ago, and we waited three days before they finally decided on a name. Some people are like, you've had like nine and a half months. Really, you couldn't figure this out before then?
1: Why do they take so
0: long? Because names matter. When we chose Elijah's name when he was born, it mattered to us. And we chose the name Elijah because Elijah means the Lord is my God. And what we wanted him to know for the entirety of his life. He knew that it wasn't somebody else's father, but it was his father. The Lord is his God. Names matter, but the most important name of all is the name of the Lord. We sing songs all the time. Scripture exhorts us all the time. Richard read the text from Philippians 2 this morning. That at the name of Jesus, that every knee would bow in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And every time we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God's Father, names matter. And no name matters more than God's name. It's why the Jewish people wouldn't speak it, but it's also why Jesus says, oh, you can speak it, but don't forget to respect it. Because this name is holy, it's, it's not a common name, it's a special name. It means you revere it, it means you respect it, it means you treat it with dignity.
1: I had an opportunity
0: years ago to go be a part of a, a homeless ministry in Atlanta. And the first lesson that they taught us was always ask for the name of the person that you're serving. Because they don't have a home, they don't have a car, they don't have a job, they don't have any property, but they always have their name. And when you speak their name, you return dignity and value to that person look at me and you say, does God really need me to give him dignity? Isn't he God? Doesn't he kind of get that because he's who he is? Well, let me ask you something. How does it make you feel when somebody tells you how special you are to him? How does it make you feel when instead of somebody calling you, hey, you, they call you by your name? This week I was in the commons area when some of our little we here kids were passing through. And one of the helpers said, now what is it that these boys should call you? Do they call you Miss Joy? Do they call you Pastor Joy? And I said, well, they can call me Pastor Joy, but they can also call me PJ, because sometimes that's easier. I said, but honestly, they can call me anything, and I'll still make time for them. They're still trying to figure out how to use their words really well. And so I get a lot of hey yous and a lot of highs. And right now, at that age, at that level, that's how they can communicate. But someday when they learn names, they begin to use them because names matter. Jesus says, the Father's, the Father's name matters, and it is holy. If you go and look at John 17, you will see that over and over again, as Jesus was praying to the Father, he called him by the name, O oh, Father, these disciples that you have given to me, I've taken care of them just like you like. You father, I have done everything you've asked of me. Father, I've returned glory to your name. Jesus wasn't afraid to speak the name of his father. But he also revered it. He also respected it. He knew that it was holy and he treated it that way. You know, before I got married, my last name was May. After I got married, my last name was Sherman. But my name, from the moment that I accepted Jesus, Christ has always been a Christian. Amen. And in the midst of that, I carry forth the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And because I do, it matters. <coughs> Jesus says, when you pray, begin with worship of the Father, but then put the eyes before the eyes and say, Father, your name is holy, and I worship you. And then he says, pray, thy kingdom come. What does that mean? Thy kingdom come. You know, we pray this prayer for a lot of years, but we don't take it apart enough to pay attention to what we're saying when we're praying. Thy kingdom come essentially means, hey, whatever whatever you want in whatever way you want it, God, you bring it. Just after this prayer, Jesus started telling people, Hey, listen, you've got to stop worrying about stuff. You've got to stop worrying about what you wear, what you eat, what you drink. You've got to stop worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough reason to done. You just keep your eyes fixed on today. If, if I care about the lilies in the field and I make them beautiful, don't you think I can take care of everything else going on with you too? So how about you do this? Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How about you just, in the 21st century, how about you just shake a chill pill and let me handle it? Why? Well, whose kingdom is it? It's his, and he can handle it. I think sometimes when we come to God with our wants, when we push his stuff out of the way and we put our stuff front and center, what we're telling him is, You need to fix this stuff. And he's like, you know what? I've already been working on it. Why don't you just set it down? Because I've got this. This is my kingdom. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God when he began to minister upon the earth. He invited in the kingdom. What does that mean? He said, there is God who loves you, and he is making room for you. Now it's time for you to make room for him. Make space in your heart for him to come in and take up residence because the kingdom of God is right now. This isn't something we're waiting for, friends. It's right now. It's happening right now. And here's the thing. In the church, we spent so long talking about the kingdom that is coming. Oh, God, I just can't wait till you come back. Hurry up. I can't do this anymore. We're looking for the kingdom to come. Friends, the kingdom is right now in us. We carry it around with us everywhere we go. When God through Christ says, pray your kingdom come, what he's saying is, look, we've already figured it out for us. Our prayer now needs to be for our neighbor and our coworker and our friend and our our, uh, roommate. God, we want your kingdom to come. We want you to take up spiritual residence in other hearts and in other minds and in other places. In the city. We want you to have authority in our city. You've already promised us that this is your home. Come and have it. Your kingdom come. You do it your way, not my way. You do it the way you want it to. And then, and then, Jesus says, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Whoa, hang on. That's kind of a lot. Thy will be done. But Jesus doesn't just say, that will be done. He says, Thy will be done on earth, as it already is happening in the heavenly realms. It's a reiteration of the invitation for God's kingdom to come, but it's also so much more.
1: Because what Jesus is
0: essentially saying is this, you've got to begin to pray more than what we want. Whatever you want, more than whatever I want in this life, more than whatever I think I need, more than whatever I say is best. Not my will, but yours, again. I loved to read and for years I
1: read Jan
0: Karen's The Mitford Series, maybe some of you have read those books. But in those books there is a man named Father Tim Kavanaugh, he's a parish pastor. And often as he faces critical moments in his ministry, he and his eventual wife pray what they call the prayer that never fails. And it's four simple words. Thy will be done. Do you know that that prayer never fails? Because God is always working to bring his will back. Now, that is not to say that man cannot interfere with what God wants to do then in the book of Isaiah, the prophets we're going to let you do it, except can I just hold on to this stuff? But I just want to tell you, friends, that there is no harder time in life to pray this prayer than when you are facing the cross. And if if the Son of God in the Garden of Gethsemane can say to the Father, I want you to let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours. If he with the cross in view can pray a prayer of surrender that he knows will cost him something great, and yet through that sacrifice makes it possible for us <coughs> to be able to have a conversation, I think we can do it. Jesus says, pray in this way, thy will be done. And after all of the thighs, then he brings us to the mind. I pray, hallowed be thy name. I pray, thy kingdom come. I pray, thy will be done. And now I bring my blessing. And Jesus says, begin with this ask God for daily provision. Ask him to provide for whatever you need today. Give us today our daily bread. You know what that was an echo of? There was a moment in the Old Testament where God's people were fully reliant on him to feed them daily. Manna. Fell from heaven every day, and they collected it, and there was always enough. He said, Don't take more than you need, but you will always have what you need. Jesus says, When you pray to the Father, say, Would you take care of my needs today? request is. It's a petition. It's a want And Jesus says, the first thing that you need to say is, God, I need you to take care of me. I need you to provide for me. I can know, I can think I know what I need, but I know you know what I need. And you've done it before. And today, I trust you'll do it again. And then Jesus says, and the next want to bring. Forgive us Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. We've prayed in different ways. But this is a a loaded request to the Lord. Okay? This is one that Jesus doubles back on. He doesn't just teach them how to pray. He comes back and redefines it. He says, pray in this way. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is not a request to be excused from the consequences of sin. This is just a straight-out request to be forgiven. Because here's the thing. To be excused from consequences is temporary. But to be forgiven from sin is eternal. And Jesus says make sure that when you're asking for forgiveness, you're not asking to get out of your punishment. You're asking to be free for eternity. But oh, as you're doing it, bear in mind that as you extend forgiveness to others, it is returned to you in the same measure. Which means, God is saying, don't pour my grace. If you want to really receive forgiveness, and many of you in this room have, you know the things in your life that have kept you from a relationship with God. And he has freely forgiven you in Jesus Christ those things. When you experience that kind of freedom, why would you keep that from other people? Why would you hoard it and hold it back like it's not okay for them to have? Because Jesus plainly says, hey, you know what happens? If you lack the ability to forgive other people, you're not really receiving the forgiveness you're asking for. Does that mean that God withholds? No. But think about it this way. If I have unforgiveness in my heart, isn't that sin? And doesn't sin separate me from God? So even if I ask for forgiveness for this thing over here, But I lack the ability to forgive over here. I'm still holding on to sin. And God will forgive what is confessed. But he can't forgive sin that is not confessed and admitted before his name. So Jesus is saying, pay attention to the way that you forgive. Don't just ask to be forgiven. Ask for the capacity to also be a forgiver. It's a prayer not only of confession, it's a true petition. God, make me a forgiver. Don't, Don't just make me a prayer. Make me a forgiver. Maybe the hardest part of this prayer, maybe it's not that it will be done is the hardest part of this prayer. Except that when we pray, God will be done. Isn't it God's will that we forgive one another? Did it be a trick? Is he asking us to pray the same thing twice? Maybe. But there's no tricks. God's heart is for you to know him and to experience freedom in him and to extend the same freedom and grace to other people. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us. And then we pray, deliver us from temptation, or lead us not into temptation. The final want that I bring, my last on the list, this is not so much a prayer for protection, friends. For a long time, we've said, God is not answering my prayers because this thing happened to me or this bad thing came into my life. For Friends, temptation comes to everyone. Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, There's no temptation that comes to you that is not common to every man, but God is faithful. And with that temptation, we'll provide a way out from under it so that you don't have to bear it. When we pray, when we pray, lead us not into temptation or deliver us from temptation. The best translation really in scripture is do not let us yield to temptation. Temptation is coming. The enemy is coming hot and heavy at you with whatever will trip you up. And believe you me, he knows what will get you. But God has said you don't have to succumb so to the temptation. You can be delivered from it. There's an open door walk through. So the prayer that we pray is, God, give me the strength to walk through the open door, to turn my back on temptation and head the other way. Because the evil one is coming, sneaking around, seeking whom he may devour. And he is coming for me. So God, when he comes, turn my feet around and head me the other direction. That's really what I want, one. Now, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what we're saying is lead us not into suffering. Lead me not into things that will hurt me or make me uncomfortable. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, deliver me. Deliver me from the temptation that is coming. Not hold it back so it doesn't hit me, but turn my eyes to see the open door so when it comes I know where to go.
1: This is the way that Jesus
0: taught his people to pray. Jesus taught the disciples. This isn't so much the Lord's prayer, because that's John 17, as this is the disciples' prayer. This is the prayer for us. It's the prayer he teaches us. But he doesn't say you have to pray this word for word. He doesn't say, pray these words and you'll get it right. Here's what Jesus said. This is the formula for how I want you to pray. I want you to worship me. I want you to worship the Father and remember who He is and remember He belongs to you. You have a relationship with Him. And I want you to remember He is holy and He's worthy of your praise. Begin with praise and then bring your petitions. Start with worship and then bring your wants. In the New American Standard translation in Matthew, it concludes with these words, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, not in the original manuscripts. We don't know if an editor added on but can I just tell you, I'm kind of a fan of the editor. And here's why. Because it's a beautiful book into prayer. We begin and we end with worship. Because this prayer is not about me, friends. It's not about you. It's about him. And so we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then at the end we say, because it's your kingdom and it's your power and it's your glory. It isn't mine. All these things are yours, and because they're yours, I can trust you to handle them. And so we begin and we end with praise. Prayer is a conversation, I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of people come to me in conversation the last couple of weeks with some heavy requests. Sometimes the front end is more like a complaint. Instead of a, have you done a really good job? Do you think you can help me with this? Some people say, listen, God is God. He doesn't need me to tell him how good he is. Why is that so important? Well, you tell me. How long are you going to last in a relationship where you don't know you met How long are you going to stick it out? God will never leave. But he values knowing that we love him as he loves us. Here's an easy way to remember the Lord's Prayer. Maybe it's hard to remember all those words, but you want to pray the way that Jesus taught you to pray. Maybe you've heard of the Acts after them. A stands for adoration. You know what adoration is? It's worship. It's praise. You tell God how good he is. Adoration. C stands for confession. Do you know what confession is? Forgive me my trespasses, as I also am forgiving other people. I am naming my sins, of the Lord. I am seeking His forgiveness and I choose to live transformed because of what He does for me. T, Thanksgiving. Oh wait, you know what that is? So the more praise. Look at what you've done. How many times have you done something for somebody and you didn't do it for any measure of Thanksgiving but it's always a win when they say, me and I appreciate that. You didn't show up at their door to help because you were looking for kudos, but when somebody says something, you did it, just feel good. God appreciates our gratitude. He appreciates knowing that we see Him answer when we ask. He appreciates knowing that when He provided for my daily need today and I said, and thank you. Thank you for showing up in this way. Thank you for making a miracle happen for me in this way. He knows that I'm paying attention to the fact that He did all that and I did. Supplication, that's just kind of a, a big word. For the things we ask for, and Jesus is starting to put it in proper order. Make sure you ask for the thighs before you ask for the minds. Make sure you put his desires in front of your own, because by the time you get to yours, they look just like his. Jesus says this is the way that he pray." If you go and you read John 17 this week, you will see that as Jesus is talking to his Father, these are the things that he's saying. In response this morning, as we uh, get ready to to pray through our scene I I want to draw you back to an opportunity to put this into practice. But I'm going to give you some homework, some literal homework. If Jesus has prayed in this way, what would happen if we did? What would happen if every day this week that I start to have a conversation with God, I use this as my model? That I begin by recognizing that God is my Father, and I have not just mine and I don't get to afford him. He belongs to everyone who is a child of God. And he's waiting to meet the kids who don't know their kids. What if I began to pray our father and I put him at the center of my conversation and didn't make it about me? What if I didn't bring a list? But what if I just came to talk? And I said, hey dad, it's kind of been a heartbeat. No matter how hard my week is, you are good. You are a good, good father. It's who you are. What What if I told him how much I love him? What if I told him all the things that I assume he already knows, but I chose to say them up front? And then,
1: after that, what if I said, hey, listen, I've got some things
0: on my heart, but before I say that, I just want to say whatever it is that you want to do, that's what I want. Whatever it is that you want to accomplish in not carnal, well, that's what I want. I can pretend to have an agenda. I can pretend to have a, a vision or goals for this church, but you know what I want. I want what you want. And I'm not so sure I know what that looks like, but here's the cool thing. You do, and I don't have to worry about it. So I'm just going to seek the kingdom, and all the rest will be added to me, because I'm going to trust you. In the way that Jesus taught us to pray, and we have an earnest conversation with a personal father, and we set aside this list of things that we love to tell him we want him to do for us and instead say, hey, listen, whatever it is that you want, that's really what I want. God will accomplish things in ways you never thought possible, and you will discover that all of the needs that you have are provided for. What if we started praying, half that own way, Lord? Means for provides.
1: Would you take the challenge
0: this week? with every day this week you pray the Lord's Prayer, not so much in the formula that we've done it before, but understanding that this is a model, a shell, an outline for the way that God wants you to talk to Him? And just see in seven days what happens. And when you join us on Saturday or Sunday in that 24 hours of praying, in the midst of all of that, would you pray, Lord? God, you're so good. i well, look at what you've done in my life this week. I can't imagine what you're about to do here, but I want to be part of it. But I'm not going to take you how to do it. I'm just going to let you do know it. Take the challenge, Prince. You will never be the same. me. Father, you are holy. There is no one like you. There is none above or below or beside you. You alone are God, and you alone are good, and it doesn't matter what our circumstances are because that's not what makes you good. Inherently, in the heart of who you are, you are loving. You are generous. You are marvelous. we love you so much. And in this place, we want to see your kingdom come.
1: We got a lot of things that we'd love for you to do for us,
0: but deep down what we really want you to do